The InStuff podcast is sponsored by ScratchBand. Just stop touching your face. Don't make me explain why anymore. It's gross. I don't care if you buy ScratchBand or come up with some other way to do it, but just quit. I mean, it's the easiest way I've found to quit touching my face, but, you know, whatever works for you. ScratchBand, join the evolution. More information at scratchband.life, also available on Amazon.com. It's been a while since we've done one of these podcast things. I know. We probably have zero listeners. <laughs> like, well, they gave up. You leave them for a minute and they're gone. <laughs> and they're like, why? If you fail to feed the beast, it runs off to somewhere else. <laughs> how, how has the last few weeks been for you? They have been enjoyable because it's summer. Yes. Yeah. The weather is beautiful. So I'm just going to say that because I'm thankful that it's summer. It is like 80 degrees today, which is brutal. <laughs> and I know like people in the lower 48, it's nothing. And I'm cool and comfortable inside. But man, put me outside in the sun. And I just, I'm reminded of why I moved up here from Michigan. Because uh, yeah. I cannot take that kind of heat. I don't know how people in the lower 48 do it. And like, I'm from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And even in Pennsylvania, it's like a tropical state compared to summer in alaska yeah exactly it's brutal well yeah last couple weeks have been challenging for me the delorean's broken again for basically like the third time this summer it's been just a horror of a summer things breaking all the time my suitcase handle broke what my smart blinds yeah i went to homer oh that's right that's a long drive yeah but i was just picking up my suitcase and the handle broke off was this and, like, after the trip is over flying no it was during the trip but oh. it was on the way back <laughs> everything's breaking around me but uh i did come to a good realization about um getting in the right headspace for mechanical work because this weekend uh one, I, one of the things i was trying to fi- fix hoping hopefully not in vain that will actually get my delorean to start again is this part that's basically inside a box under the bottom middle of the car it's basically like impossible to get to especially (laughs) when you're using you know um cinder blocks to jack your car up and and you're so close to the bottom of the car that you you could literally like just practically kiss it (laughs) without having to move too much do you get claustrophobia i get very scared it's gonna drop on me so i come up with like multiple redundant backup systems in case there's an earthquake yeah because that might happen up here a friend of mine told me about a guy who died because the car fell on him during oh, i'm earthquake. so sorry yeah it wasn't anybody i knew i have no so. idea but that put the you know fear of earthquake in absolutely me. not yeah. that we've had one up here since i've been here but we that had would one be, like two weeks ago yeah but that would be big enough to shake a car off true cinder blocks but the one we had a few weeks ago kind of rolled though like it shook and then it was yeah. still shaking and then it was still i was like this is an unusual earthquake for fairbanks yeah yeah you must have been anyway i'm under the car for like 
probably at least two hours maybe total. I don't know. That's what it felt like. So there's plenty of time for an earthquake to kill me. But I've learned because I get kind of frantic a lot of times when I'm working on the car because I get obsessed with like, this is taking too long. And oh my gosh, and is this really going to fix it? So I started listening to a Garrison Keillor audiobook. Mm-hmm. Calms me right down. Really? I start doing everything really slowly <laughs> and methodically and taking my time. Whereas before I was listening to 90s grunge rock because I'm feeling nostalgic. Summer makes me mis- nostalgic pretty often. And uh, that's just like making me crazy and run yeah. around and make mistakes. So I've learned if you got to do something tricky on a car, pop on a Garrison Keillor audiobook. I listened to Wobegon Boy on Hoopla, which pretty much everybody in America should have access to. It comes free with your library subscription. Well, with your library, you don't really need a subscription. Right, for that. the library card. Yeah, and uh, it was quite effective. Good. Chilling me out, slowing me down. I got it replaced, which was a, a feat of uh, <laughs> Cirque du Soleil. Soleil, basically. Wait, did you have to be a contortionist to do this? Kind of. There was a point where this thing I'm trying to bracket up is basically like a coffee mug, and it's got a bracket on it to hold it in place, and that's up on the up, you know, up. And so I have to like hold the thing and hold the bracket and put a bolt through one of the holes, all with like one hand, which is. Right. Basically impossible with only five fingers. If you had like eight, you could probably pull it off. <laughs> or three hands. And you can't, yeah, and you can't fit a second hand in the hole. Oh, gosh. But thanks to the cool, calm demeanor that I got from the Garrison Keeler book, I was like, <laughs> just hold on. If we attach this metal hose to it, the fuel line to it, that will hold it in place. Then you don't have to hold it up anymore. You just have to hold the <laughs> bracket up, and you can do that with one hand, and put the hole through the bolt through the hole and then get it started and it'll be fine. From the dulcet tones of Garrison yeah, Keillor. Exactly. I know he got caught up in the me too thing. I don't really know the details of it. So I know that he's got a little bit of a stain on his reputation, but, uh, he's good. He's good for that. And it was, it was funny. Cause that, even after I, I managed to do it, I was like, wait, how did I mean it? I was just so like chill. I couldn't even remember what I had done to put the thing in. So now do you have a new approach to doing work on, on your DeLorean? I'm definitely going to be listening to Garrison Keillor. Really? Because it just calms me down because totally I get different. really freaked out. And that's when I end up dropping bolts and holes and That has been stuff. pretty traumatic. That was really traumatic. I'd take a spark plug out today. You to just told me it. you busted a nut. <laughs> I busted a nut on Saturday, but that was a different one. I was taking a spark plug out to inspect it to see if that was a problem with my starting issue and I'm pretty sure it is. And I was like, what could possibly fall down this hole while oh, no. I have the spark plug out? <laughs> Did you cover it up while you had the spark plug out? Uh, I pretty much pulled it out and put it right back in. I felt safe about that. But then when I put it back in, I didn't need to screw it in. So I also put the cover back on. This is really long and probably won't be included. So we should probably just start over. We're seven minutes in and we haven't said really anything. What do you think? Let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Who cares? We'll just start. Ready, go. Kristen, it's been a while. (laughs) It has been. (laughs) And once again, we're laughing for reasons the audience doesn't know because we've been talking for like 45 minutes already, including seven minutes I thought might be used in the show, but then I realized I was just being long and boring. It wasn't that long and boring, and if you cut it, I'll be very sad. Okay. (laughs) 
All right. Well, then they will know. Just a bunch of boring DeLorean stuff. Today, we are talking about hyperloops and hoverboards. Things that start with H. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, letter H episode. Right. And as I was going through all this, I was like, why did we try and pick two topics for today? That seems like a lot, but... We had two topics that were kind of left outstanding, but I don't think could have filled their own episodes yeah so we put them together yeah and then i did research on hyperloops and feel like it could totally be you its were own really episode. down when we when i told you we needed to do hyperloops so you're like these are dumb bored by hyperloops and bored by hoverboards at the same time you've this been is like so excited about hoverboards in the past in i have past, seen you and then i got one yes i have I seen like, you in a hoverboard and with also a puffy vest and you were very excited about yeah. it yeah now i realize they're not the future <laughs> despite what back to the future might indicate oh so let's start off with the definition well i'd like to just focus on hyperloops first and go okay. through all of them and then we can do hoverboards sounds good sound good all right yeah. so when we're talking about hyperloops what are we talking about in your opinion in my opinion we are talking about the contemporary idea of a hyperloop where there is like a pod let's mm-hmm. say running on a rail of magnetism (laughs) (laughs) so like pure magnetism (laughs) i didn't want to say maglev right away because then you would yell at me for not explaining that to you right yeah so but it's maglev technology in Mm -hmm. a tube that is depressurized to reduce wind resistance yeah so it's kind of like when i think about it it's kind of like the uh, pneumatic tubes at the bank if you remember that's being... exactly what i re- wait did you just look at did you look at my notes Is well that no like... i actually did some research too yeah it's like this sounds like what i saw at the bank when i was a kid it's pretty close to what you see at the bank which is my my best analogy too you know in old grocery stores they used to have them as well really yeah oh wow like way back in the day that must have been a midwest thing i i don't remember seeing anything like yeah. that where i grew up no it's it, i mean we're talking like early 1900s kind of stuff oh yeah, that was but, before my time. Anyway, yeah, so it's basically like a tube, and it's, a, yeah, it's a much more complicated version of what you see at the bank with the tube that, I'm scared of those things, too. Really? I, don't, I won't go to the bank if I need to use the tube. You won't put your hand up against it? I don't know, it makes me nervous, all this, <laughs> the suction thing and, like, putting something in and, ugh. No. In I, fact, I went to the bank the other day and I saw that they only had tubes and I was like, screw it, I'm going inside. <laughs> Wait, have you ever seen houses that have like central vacs? Yeah, I've uh, I've seen, I used to work at a place that had central vacs. Those are exciting too. It's like one step away of having vacuum tubes inside of a house, which if you're going to put a central vacuum in, why not just have a system where you could send things to every room? I always wondered why they didn't do that. Uh, I can think of about... You haven't had kids. That's probably why you can. This is this is <laughs> me as a kid wishing that I could send things like to the first oh, floor seriously? of the house. Yes. Hey, sis, send me a peanut butter and jelly. Okay. Oh, no. I'm <laughs> thinking of like action figures. <laughs> we were playing G.I. Joe or like Legos. Right. That would have been cool. All right. Well, anyway. Um, yes. Vacuum tube uh, for, for people. As of today, <laughs> there's been one human trial. Which was quite a big deal. I didn't quite get what the big deal was when I saw the video of it. They're like, people actually going in a Hyperloop. And I was like, what? People well, haven't done this already? somebody had to be the first. Yeah. Right. And it was like the main honchos with Virgin 
who Because there are a number of different types of Hyperloops under development right now, right? Yeah, because Elon Musk has got one. Virgin's got one. There's some overseas, too. Yeah, I don't know if those are their own or if that's... But, yeah. So, there's a few people working on it. They only went about 110 miles per hour, which is as fast as I've gone in a DeLorean. So, I'm not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is, the, what is the difference, then? If you're Even if you're going 110 miles an hour in a DeLorean versus a Hyperloop, what are the purported advantages of using this new technology? Well, um, first of all, you won't get a speeding ticket, but I didn't either. So I guess that's the same. Um, You're not relying on 40-year-old technology, but it's proven technology. You know, the reason, like, there are a bunch of old planes still flying is because we want proven, reliable technology. Innovation in aviation is a liability, not always an asset. Mm. as you can see with the 737 max right so um so yeah i guess it's reliability versus but of course like no deer are going to run in front of you in the hyperloop right they're supposed to be from what i understand less impact on the environment too that's true me getting up to 110 the delorean took a fair amount of gas i bet you wore through your shoes too (laughs) (laughs) at any rate um the current versions are aiming for 700 plus miles per hour. So obviously they were going well below that for this short little test, which is significantly faster than airliners. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know how fast jets we usually go? We are traveling as fast as we used to in air travel anymore. Like we don't have the Concorde anymore. The Concorde used to do like states to Europe yeah. relatively quickly. And planes on purpose don't fly as quickly anymore. I think it's a fuel saving measure hmm. but generally it's like 500 some miles per hour is what what your average jet goes yeah yeah the concord might be coming back oh really That's yeah they're talking about it but anyway so we're talking about you know a lot faster than airplanes um and at least in theory could go significantly faster in the future too it's not like there's some sort of physical limit that 700 miles but that's what what they're leaning toward right now and it sounds to me like in all of this development they have um a little they elon musk has a bit of optimism so he's making plans for hyperloops open source so that other people oh, cool. can develop the technology yeah to whatever ends i don't know how how much is being shared open source and it seems like they're trying to eliminate the bottlenecks that air travel has right now, too, where people like show up at a time and they have to wait and all those things. Right. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that in terms okay. of pros and cons. The way the way it works, as you were alluded, alluding to earlier, was is uh, well, one of the reasons it works is maglev, which is a term you should know if you're going to get into hyperlooping. That's magnetic <laughs> levitation, and we we have that already. <laughs> yeah. We have it already with some of the um, the like fast trains. What do they call those? Just bullet train. Bullet trains. Basically, magnets levitating the device over a rail so that there's no friction between the two. Uh, in that sense, there's still some still got to be some friction. There's wind but... resistance too. I think that then slows down the vehicle. Well, certainly for the bullet trains, but that's the other element is it's in a vacuum that they want to suck the air out of the Hyperloop so there's no air resistance. 
And so that allows for much greater speed with, with much less effort because basically, I mean, the reason a plane flies is because of air density, but it's also the reason it takes so much fuel is pushing through that air is brutal. And that magnetic levitation maglev uh, is designed to absorb some bumps. I don't know exactly how far off the, yeah, the rails they're aiming for, but it's an air cushion. So it will take some uh, of the uh, maybe unevenness of the, the track. Um, I wonder. But like, how I wonder much if it'll and... be a smooth ride or not, because that's really fast speeds. Yeah. Um, it would have to be a smooth ride to be, yeah. I don't see why why it couldn't be a, a pretty, why it would go ahead if it wasn't a smooth ride, but it's something to, something to consider. And it's looking, their proposals right now are uh, like 30,000 passengers per hour, I guess, in, in one Hyperloop. That's it's crazy. a little bit unclear. Well, they kind of, they don't run as a train. It's more like a directed series of like caravans yeah, going to like, similar destinations. Yeah. More like a bus, maybe, in terms of how many people are going on each one. Um, and in terms of distance, well, this, this might mean something to us, but, uh, they're talking about going from LA to San Francisco in 45 minutes. That's like a flight to Anchorage now. Exactly. Yeah. That basically for us here in, in Alaska would be about a half hour trip from so Fairbanks nice. to Anchorage, which is amazing because right now it's about, if you're stuck behind RVs and not driving like nuts. It's seven hours. Yeah. And we'd never get, we'd never get a Hyperloop from, no. from Alaska to the lower 48 either, but it'd be so nice to not have a four hour plane ride. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yep. And one of the first projects they're looking at in the U S is to go from Cleveland to Chicago. I'm not sure why. Maybe yeah, there's just something that. about that. <laughs> I mean, they are metropolitan hubs. Yes, absolutely. However, weird. Yes, and they're looking at creating one in um, Saudi Arabia. And I, so I guess the goal is maybe in approximately the next 10 years, we might actually see a functioning Hyperloop. Doesn't Elon Musk have the boring company actively boring in California? Like, isn't part of this development in California? I don't know how far along they are on that, but okay. yes. Yeah, it, it strikes me as we're talking that potential, the first um, connection chicago to would you say cleveland mm -hmm. i wonder if it's a, i wonder if that ground is more stable there's less fault lines I don't yeah know. earthquakes are something that you brought up before too so i did a little research on that that we can talk about in a minute but okay yeah um i would imagine it has to do with like the terrain how hard it is to bore through and and if They'll be coming above surface. How how much of that land that they could get through eminent domain or just without a lot of hassle? Eminent domain. Yeah. Oh no. Anyway, right now it's looking at about a hundred million dollars per mile. Oh my gosh. Is what Virgin Hyperloop is estimating the expense will be, which is pretty insane. But apparently, high speed rail costs one hundred and eighty million dollars per mile. Oh really? No Which seemed really high to me, so I'm not... But, you know, that's got to go above ground, too, so you've got more complications with that uh, in terms of, like, where you get to put this thing. Hmm. 
Um, so anyway, it was quite a range. It was like, I think 80 to $120 million per mile was the estimate. So they, they clearly, you know, are, uh, you know, it's a rough guess. And then, they, you know, it's like anything, it'll probably cost twice as much and take twice as long. Hopefully not. I mean, part but, of this effort is to make this type of travel rapid, um, coverage of distance, large distances affordable right. for more people than it is now. For instance, right. like if we wanted to fly across country, not everybody's able to do that right now. And I'm not able to do it as much as I might like to. Right. And it's also miserable, which is <laughs> something is. that I want to talk about too. 100%. In fact, that's what I want to talk about next is what our options are today. And sort of like, so we don't have hyper loops yet. So we can't, should I, should I turn off the dishwasher? As is tradition, <laughs> my dishwasher always stops running because I get the bug to do dishes on Mondays when we record <laughs> these and it always goes, we'll just let it go. Um, so what do we, what do we have, what do we have today sort of in comparison? Well, we have bullet trains, um, which are very popular, um, mainly in, in Asia. Yeah. We don't have them in the States. We don't definitely don't have them in the U S we have Amtrak in the U S and I haven't done, you know, the fastest, most bullety train, the, the, uh, China, I believe has, has the craziest for that, but I have done the Shinkansen. What is that? That's the, one of the Japanese bullet trains. Okay. How have you done it? any bullet trains or no, train stuff? No, I can talk to the Amtrak experience when okay, we get there. Okay, good. Yeah, that'll be fun. So the Shinkansen is a big deal in Japan. It's really affordable. I don't remember how much it, it even was off the top of my head, but it is crazy affordable also because Japan has a super awesome tourist travel um, pass that you can get mm. that Japan is, everyone thinks it's really expensive. It is not at least compared to Alaska, which everyone thinks is expensive, but Japan is. is not that expensive. <laughs> um, and, uh, that'll go about 200 miles per hour. Wow. It was unbelievably reliable. Hmm. When I was there, I was expecting a train at, you know, whatever time, like one forty-seven in the uh, afternoon. And so a train pulls in at like 145 and I'm like, okay, this must be my train. I get on, I'll go tearing away on this thing. Super quiet, super smooth, plenty of room. It's wonderful. Part of that is just the way Japan is too. But, and the woman comes by to check my ticket. Unfortunately, she doesn't speak English and she's like, indicates there's a problem. And I'd gotten on the wrong train No, no. because if it's off by like 45 seconds, that's like they apologize. I think there was a news report like a year ago about a Japanese rail apologizing because the train was like a minute and a half late. Oh my like word. <laughs> so you just go off the second. That I mean, but again, part of that is uh is uh Japan, but it is the most wonderful way I've ever traveled. Hmm. Japan our lines was pretty awesome too, but you're you're jammed in um, you know, the seats, I think it was JL. I can't remember which one it was. Um, but I have, I mean, I can't imagine, I cannot fathom a, a better way. I mean, the DeLorean is a pretty awesome way to travel, but you can't like get up and walk around and it's louder. And oh, I have a question. Yeah. When you were on the train in, in Japan, did you use the bathroom? Do I probably have, did. Do they have fancy toilets? Like I don't know if they else? have a bidet on the train. That would be insane. <laughs> um, I don't recall that. Okay. 
probably not, but maybe they've figured it out. They have bidets in like public restrooms and coffee shops, fancy ones. That's why I I was curious. (sighs) Anyway, so, you know, I would say in a, in a, like Japan, they're, I can't see them being in a super rush to get a Hyperloop because they've got some pretty awesome stuff already. That's really smooth and yeah. Well, and it strikes me that maybe the country, the distance across the country in any direction might not be so great to benefit from economically, but it would still be an economic benefit. You would be increasing travel time still by three times at least. Decreasing travel time? Sorry. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Increasing efficiency. Yeah. So, I mean, I went from um, Tokyo to Hiroshima and I seem to recall that took like a few hours and that's, that's pretty far north and south. Okay. Um, so yeah, especially, you know, in a country like that where people are super busy and, and time is really of the essence. Yeah, maybe. But here in the U S we have Amtrak, <laughs> which I want to like. I really do. I want to like it. It's, <laughs> it is a leisurely way to travel. Uh, yeah. In some ways. What's been your experience with Amtrak? Where have you gone? I have diverse experience with Amtrak. Okay. Um, with overnight travel, which really? has been nice. Yeah. When I was a kid, I took a trip with my grandmother oh. from Pennsylvania to Illinois. And it was overnight rail and it was nice. So we had a sleeper car and, Mm -hmm. you know, you fall asleep kind of rocking with the train and that experience is nice. You had, um, like a restaurant car, Mm -hmm. whatever they call them for real, which was a nice experience. But I've also had to use commuter light rail on the East coast Mm -hmm. between like Philadelphia and Washington, DC and Mm. New York city. And that is just crazy town yeah that kind of travel Mm -hmm. um and i have been in very undesirable situations (laughs) i never thought i would be in me too yes so i'm curious about your experience (laughs) yeah well um first of all the sleeper trains look great i actually saw some videos on youtube of amtrak sleeper trains that seem super classy and i really want to try it sometime they really are but most of my travel was basically just point a to point b like get the job done and and that was primarily i think exclusively from like east lansing to chicago okay or thereabouts, sometimes going around. But I lived in Chicago for a, a brief period. Um, wasn't uh, a huge fan of city life. And one of the things I didn't like involved, like Amtrak was no great treat, unfortunately. Um, first of all, what I was told was that the that Amtrak did not, um, somehow when they were like negotiating track rights, they didn't get, the, the right of way over freight trains. So every time a freight train is coming, Amtrak has to pull over and wait. Oh, geez. So you spend a fair amount of time over, you know, on one of, one of the side tracks waiting for a freight train to come by and go through. So you're just kind of spending a lot of time sitting around not doing anything. That was one problem. Another time we were trying to come back to Michigan from Chicago for Thanksgiving, and it was 
a madhouse. They had way oversold the train. Oh, no. So there's, I mean, clearly there's like a billion people all trying to get on this one train. It's So you're totally stressed out. Are you going to get on this train or not? Um, I, because I'm semi-evil and conniving, found this one <laughs> like path throughout the crowd to, to get in and actually managed to get a seat. But other people, I was in college at the time, other classmates just had to stand. Oh, how long was the ride? Well, it's like, hour, I don't remember how long it took. It's a four-hour drive, so it's probably like an eight-hour train ride oh. because of all the time you spend stopping. Gross. That was a nightmare. And then, of course, a bunch of people don't get on, so they get like a consolation prize, which is like a bus trip or something like that. No. That was a nightmare. One time coming to Chicago from Lansing, I because I'm a gregarious guy struck up a conversation with a guy who turned out to be like super creepy and weird and they always these creepy guys always claim they were army snipers i don't know why (laughs) every creepy guy is always like i was a sniper the world is full of creepy guys and they all wish they were army snipers somehow that makes them awesome one guy i was like you're an army sniper huh this was not on the train and uh he's like yep in the marines and i was like what kind of gun did you have because i thought if he's really an army sniper he'll know he's like if he's an army sniper in the marines he's confused just let's yeah. just get that out <laughs> oh, that's, i know i don't remember, <laughs> i don't remember the details on which branch he was with but he's like a 50 cal it's like, like you were a what? sniper with a 50 cal as no. <laughs> i was like okay you're nuts because that's like <laughs> what goes on a tank but anyway uh so that was weird thanksgiving nightmare but the the worst Okay, okay. I don't. I remember the details because I blocked a fair amount of it out of my mind. But I think <laughs> I'm going to merge two stories, assuming that they did happen at the same time. I was on the train, and the train stops moving, and the and the conductor comes on. Is like, hey, everybody. So we have a problem. Um, you know, probably the best way to explain it to you. And so he starts like building up like this is a complex thing he's like so we have this motor that creates the electricity and then we have the wheels that make the train go and we're having trouble getting the power from the motor to the wheels so he's he's explaining the powertrain of this train yeah and that's how he (laughs) dumbed it down for us like you don't like just say we're having trouble getting power to the wheels you don't have to act like like when you've simplified it that's that much so we're all like okay well Awesome. How does that break? I don't know. <laughs> but we stuck. We were stuck there. And eventually, I don't know. I, I mean, eventually, I think they got it going again. And if I, if I merge this with my other story, they basically kick us out because the train is broken. So they're going to take us on a bus on the rest of the way home. Oh. And so we end up on a, on a bus and it's like late at night. And it's crammed full of people. It's like a, a sort of, what are those like, sort of touristy type buses. It's not like a regular, um, like big carriage bus or anything like that. It's something smaller. Those boxier buses that fit like thirty people or something. Like a Greyhound? No, smaller than that. Like like the ones. Anyway, sh- the shorter bus. Okay. I didn't want to say short bus because we weren't. It wasn't like. I thought that would conjure up images, but we're on a short, okay. shorter like. You know, the kind that they... Anyway. It wasn't a Bluebird bus, though. It wasn't a big old, like, Greyhound bus. It was probably, you know, half that boxy size. Anyway, 
Um, everyone's crammed on this thing. And they have like tables, so people have to sit like right across from each other and they're packed in. And there's this older woman and guy on the on the bus and she has wet herself oh, no. in her dress. Oh no. And so the smell of urine is overwhelming oh, no. in this thing. And some poor woman had to sit across the table from her, like, and they're practically touching their knees. And I'm fortunately by a window. And so I'm basically like sticking my head by the window to get some fresh air. And I'm feeling so bad for this woman who bought a train ticket to ride the train. It is now riding a bus crammed in across the table from a, a presumably drunk woman who has wet herself. Oh. That's what Amtrak is like. At least that's what it was like. I'll give them credit 20 years ago. Maybe they've improved some things since then, but you can imagine like not super pumped right. <laughs> to, to try it too many times when those are the kind of experiences that I was having. Commuter light rail in the States. My experiences have been less, less than exceptional. Mm-hmm. I've normally gotten to where I needed to go. Not necessarily at the correct times. Right. Traveling on the train and light rail in Germany is a totally different experience, which yeah. I've had much more success and mm-hmm. enjoyment from. And not maybe not as clockwork as Japan, but they are definitely on time too. In fact, I learned the hard way when you are on a train in Germany, you don't wait for the train to stop and then get off. You mm. stand up, the train <laughs> stops, and then you get off as fast as possible. Like yeah. I. <laughs> I was trying to get off and a door shut in my face before I could get off. I had to punch the door to get it to open oh again. Oh my god! The porter that was out on on the outside of the train, he just looked at me like, what? Like I was a crazy was American, this a surprise? essentially. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's brutal. But yeah, the Europe has got a much more elaborate system because they got a lot more people going a lot more places in a more congested way. So yeah, it's quite pleasant to travel they do by it train. Well. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, yeah, so that's kind of what we have as one alternative. I want to I think that hyperloops are going to take a big chunk out of air travel, so I wanted to compare the two a little bit. Like what is hype what do hyperloops have on air travel in your opinion? They have so I think they aspire to speed the process up. Mhm. Yes. Do you mean to elaborate or you got it? Well, I have, I have, obviously they're going faster. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I wanted to, that, that's pretty straightforward. We've already talked about they're going a couple hundred miles an hour faster to start off with. But what else were you thinking in terms of faster? They're not trying to fill an entire airplane before something takes off. Yeah. Like they're filling smaller um, pods, increments mm-hmm. of people to get them on their way. Yeah. So you're not waiting in line presumably you won't have the same hangups as TSA, although I imagine there will be some sort of security and in whatever manner. Because it seems like there's a big vulnerability, and I guess we can talk about that later. Hyperloop travels fast with people. Mm-hmm. It seems like it could potentially be a target. Yeah, I I think you'll probably have to do, you'll have to do some sort of TSA type thing. Um, it may not be quite the same because it will be a different threat. It's unlikely you're going to have like an yeah, but I have a feeling you'll still have to do some kind of TSA. Yeah, when it comes to slower, I what I think of with air travel is all the waiting that you end up doing 
before you even get if you could just walk onto a plane go somewhere and walk off it'd be pretty hard to compete with that but you have to check in so wait in line to check in then you have to go through tsa then you have to wait at the gate because you got to be there early like significantly earlier they won't even let you check in then you have to wait once they get once the plane is there you have to wait to get on while the schmucks like block the whole aisle putting their their junk in the overhead bin instead of getting out of the way to let others pass, which they tell you to do, but nobody does. There's a reason all that happens. It's not the fault of the passengers. They're just gaming the system. That's dumb. Yeah. I just want to say it's that. a lame system too. Then you actually wait to, well, then you wait to take off, which here isn't bad, but in other places you could, you could wait for a while just to take off. Mm-hmm. Then you wait to get to your gate and get off. Then you wait to get off the plane. Then you wait at a layover, which if you're lucky is only an hour. If it's less than that, you're lu- you're not lucky because you're terrified running across the gate. Otherwise, then you wait for your luggage. <laughs> There's just a lot of non-travel things related to traveling on airlines that where you're doing the opposite of traveling that make it pretty irritating that I, that I think might be diminished in hyperloops but so you're saying that you as an individual do not enjoy the experience of air travel no you don't find this relaxing like space to kind of wait around not be in a rush or potentially like the day-to-day daily rush that you have in in your regular life no i find it un incredibly stressful okay in fact i have discovered that it doesn't matter what trip i'm going on if it's business or if I'm I'm going on a all-inclusive vacation in Mexico, I will pay $500 the day or two before I leave to not have to go. Oh, wow. Because I find it so stressful. <laughs> getting everything done. And I mean, part of that's just travel, like getting the house all ready and taken care of. But also, it's just such a gotcha. You forget your wallet, you are screwed. Have you forgotten your wallet on an airline trip? No. Okay, good. Because I'm terrified of forgetting my wallet. That would be bad. I had one time, you know, uh, we, me and the person I was traveling with just got like distracted in a restaurant. And it was one of these like, who, who of the two of us is supposed to be paying attention to time? And since I hate traveling, I always assume someone else is taking care of this. <laughs> and we like squeaked it in. Like I, it was like raced like i'm gonna drop off the car you know you start or whatever i mean it was just like racing around and we and the person checking us in was like well we'll have to see if we can let you get on the plane oh no because you're pretty late you know that stuff stresses the heck out of me and i would hope with hyperloop it's just like oh you missed one wait five minutes and the next one will come that would be great like it won't be this big event that you spend all day preparing for because it's like a bus. Like, oh, you missed the 115? Okay, just wait for the 125. That would be cool. I'm down with that. Uh, so anyway, I find air travel extremely stressful. I hope that Hyperloops will be less stressful than that. Uh, anything else that comes to mind with air travel compared to Hyperloops? And the Hyperloops are not going to replace all air travel. But the short-term stuff, the short hops or, or medium hops, it could be a threat. It'd be really interesting if they make, if Hyperloop trips are more affordable than airline tickets. I think if you open up that, Mm -hmm. um, that travel to a greater number of people, I think that opens a lot of opportunities for individuals. I also think that being able to cover such vast distances in a short amount of time will have a lot of economic impacts 
Um, and that's what I want to talk about next. Oh, okay. So I want to talk about the 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 societal impacts of of hyperlooping right. in a second. Uh, I'm almost done with my compared to airlines. Um, air travel is uncomfortable, pretty much for everybody. It's terrible, and you're in a flying tube that you were just rebreathing air on. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's, that's so gross. <laughs> yep. So especially for tall people like us, you know, um, on on some airlines, my knees are just by default jammed into the seat in front of me. Yeah. Let me just say this. Alaska Airlines has the best leg room in the entire airline industry. 100%. Well, for coach. For American. I don't know about... I... Like, I've been on Aeroflot and it's horrendous. It's Russian. Of course it's so? horrendous. <laughs> but have you been on like Japan Airlines or? No. So I don't know. I, Is I think, the legroom better? I mean, you're I super I felt like tall. it was really nice. Hmm. And okay. it's, they like brought you a warm towel. That was amazing. Okay. Um, so anyway, it's very uncomfortable. Um, you're con- as you were talking about, you're confi- confined in a tube with a ton of people. Hopefully in a Hyperloop, there would be less... People. people so you're not rebreathing everyone's air plus it's a shorter trip so you're not doing it for as long um some other things uh way more polluting with an airplane they, yeah you're taking this giant hunk of metal and launching it from zero to 530 miles per hour at thirty thousand feet with also, all those people and stuff in it when you're at thirty thousand feet you're exposed to more radiation than you are on the ground because the atmosphere is thinner. Yeah, that's true. So there won't be that. But it's, I think it's more about the magnetic field than it is the atmosphere. Listen. You mean UV radiation? Like from the sun? Like that kind of radiation? I just know it's like general radiation. Listen, I am not a scientist <laughs> and I don't even play one on TV. I'm calling bluff on that one. Oh, You're now we're going to research it. You're in a plane, fine. Um, I don't... Anyway, um, <laughs> air travel is scary for a lot of people. Me, I hate flying. In. Is it why? Why do you hate flying? Why? Because I'm you? not in control. I don't exactly. have a parachute. You right. can't just escape when you need to escape. You're going down with everybody. You've seen plenty of movies and you've heard about plane crashes. You're not in control. That freaks a lot of people out. So Hyperloop's claim. I thought this was kind of odd, and I I take this with a grain of salt, but. Um, hyperloops claim to be 10 times safer than air travel. I mean, air travel is ridiculously safe now. Right. I'm, I'm very happy with how safe air travel is, but, um, I am interested in terms of safety, you know, it, it's also from crashing, but also from fellow passengers these days. I mean, FAA is reporting some ludicrous increase in, in disruptions on airplanes, mm-hmm. with passengers. Yeah. So will they have to be? Will there have to be hyperloop attendants who sort of do safety? I mean, I imagine that has to be people who do sort of safety and secure and service, or because it's so short, will we not worry about that? I listened to some somebody from the Virgin Hyperloop company, and they said they purposefully didn't want to have an attendant style person in a hyperloop. Mm-hmm. But I could. I find that hard to believe. Like I, I would think there would at least be a porter mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. Um, or at least one individual on, on every ride, but that would become problematic because the pods themselves are relatively small. 
Mm. There's not a whole lot of room to have attendants with carts and all these things. If you watch the rides that they're um, testing right now, those vehicles are very small. Yeah, and I, I will give them... I mean, have you seen the mock-ups for what they hope that they'll look like? I have. They're pretty yeah. spacious. And, th I mean, this is another advantage Hyperloops have over airplanes is they're not so panicky about space. Um, because of the tremendous expense of getting this giant piece of metal up in the air going so fast, every inch and every pound is big money for an airplane, which is why some are more than happy to cut back your legroom by one or two inches because that means they can fit a few more seats in. I hate that. And it's that nickel and diming of space that helps them keep their costs down. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I would um I would think that at first they're going to have attendance and as people get used to it. But if, do you need an attendant for like a half an hour trip, That's 45 minute thing. trip? I don't think that people are going to starve. You don't starve. need food. Yeah. You might need to have maybe need a, a bathroom presence or something. Yeah. You have to have a bathroom. That will be a legal requirement. I wonder how you go to the bathroom at 700 miles an hour. Fast. <laughs> and that's the thing. You'd have to be really quick. <laughs> you were worried about earthquakes. And I looked it, looked it up a little bit because I was curious too. I'd heard that earthquakes were just a surface thing when I was on a tour of Mammoth Caves mm -hmm. in Tennessee. But I'm not so sure. I think that was just to keep us from freaking out while right. we were under there. So according to the USGS, a small tube-like passage appears to be a relatively safe location that doesn't tend to collapse or sustain much, if any, damage from earthquake shaking. They're talking mainly about people who might be, I guess, like spelunking or, you know, exploring caves. And, you know, the ones where it's like bigger and there's a lot of like the stalactites or whatever the ones are that hang down. Those can be, in theory, kind of dangerous. Mm -hmm. But... Earthquakes can happen very deep under the ground. Well, I know when they happen here, they're like, yes, this earthquake was in such and such part of the state, and it was two miles down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they actually give you a depth. Yeah. So I will be interested to see. I imagine they've got a plan for this. Well, you know what, though? <laughs> I grew up, okay, on the East Coast in that in that area where everybody's commuting between uh, New York and Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. So mm -hmm. that whole, um, it's not a tri-city, but you know what I'm talking about. There's just a lot of traffic. Mm -hmm. And there, there were tunnels where you could take a train through a tunnel and the train would regularly just go underwater, like under mm -hmm. a bay. Yeah. And in England, they have the channel. Yep. And people have not been, succumbed to a collapsing tunnel under the sea. <laughs> nope, I went on it and perfectly You rode healthy. in the channel? Yeah. <laughs> From, I guess it was London to Calais or something like that. That's, That's the exciting. main place. Yeah. Went under the English Channel. It is. It's fast. It's exciting. Um, so I'll assume they, that this is not an issue, issue earthquakes. But and at the same time, earthquakes are issues for all sorts of stuff. I mean, earthquakes is an issue in your car. Just like it's an earth issue for maybe an airplane landing or something, you know, at the wrong time. It strikes me that there, there might be a level of complexity with... The Hyperloop, because they also want to pressurize, depressurize mm -hmm. the tunnel. Yeah. And so you need to somehow segment the pathway so that if you do have a leak somewhere, it doesn't depressurize the entire ex like trip, experience, right. whatever. Yeah. It's got its complications, but if you think about how complex an airliner is, 
it feels pretty doable um, compared to the insanity that is a modern airliner. That is true. Um, <laughs> which is which is another issue, like mechanical issues. I think we've all had flights where it was delayed or canceled due to mechanical issues. And in theory, you know, we'll, it, we'll have to see if if Hyperloops are more reliable, but seems like they've got a lot less moving parts. So they're a lot less likely to have problems, but but who knows? Well, you know, we've, we've all been recently watching the one boat stuck in the Panama Canal, too. Yeah, right. Holding up the world trade. <laughs> exactly. Pretty amazing. What a nightmare that was. Uh, weather is another awesome one. If you're in a tube, you don't care if there's, I mean, you probably care about a tornado, but otherwise, who cares if, if there's bad weather or not? Whereas airplanes get shut down for snowstorms and all this stuff all the time, creates major problems. Oh, that makes me think of that movie. Have you watched that movie, Snowpiercer? No. Oh, it's awful. Mm. <laughs> but it essentially is a movie about an entire society that lives on a high-speed train. Whoa. You need to watch this so we can talk about this okay. movie. <laughs> also, think about the amount of staff that go into operating a plane, especially if you think about staff per passenger. Mm. So... Oh, sorry. Now my bank's calling me. Um, of course, you got the pilots, two on every plane. Then you got flight attendants. Then you've got the mechanics that keep the plane in the air. Then you got the people who make the food. Then you've got the airport crew who get it in and out of the um, the ramp. And you've got the airport infrastructure that has to be created and maintained. The wonderful people that make sure I don't lose my luggage. Yep, you got the luggage people. You've got air traffic control. You've got the FAA. You've got the NTSB, who's, you know investigating accidents and, and all that sort of stuff. Don't You've forget got TSA. TSA, which you might still have with this, with Hyperloop. I, I think you're going to have it, but it might depend on the location. TSA is not on buses. It's true. Bus is a little bit of a different deal, but Are yeah. Are they in trains? I would assume so. I don't know. There, there are marshals maybe on trains. I have, have no clue. This is an interesting thing. I haven't been on a train in a while see my previous experience with Amtrak. Um, <laughs> NOAA, you got uh, weather people, both with the airline and with the government, checking the weather because airplanes are so sensitive to weather. You've got the flight instructors that have to train the pilots so they can fly for you and and, and uh, check them out in various, and, you know, and um, have them go through their check rides to make sure they're current. And then you've got the doctors who have to make sure that the pilots are healthy enough so that they can fly without passing out. And, oh, my gosh. All that. So if you look at all of this infrastructure that surrounds modern aviation, how much of that would you need with with Hyperloop? You don't have you don't have drivers. You don't have food. You Did don't you have talk about runways. Air traffic controllers. Yep. Okay, sorry, I missed that. You might have some element of that, but but it seems really high stress. That particular profession seems super it is. high stress. It's very high stress, and they can be really nasty sometimes. I mean, I hate to badmouth ATC. I just happened to watch a YouTube video that was like funniest ATC moments. And it was, so there's an air traffic controller at, at LaGuardia. And they can be pretty, there's a plane that crashed once because LaGuardia air traffic control was so nasty. And he and the pilot was just like uncomfortable dealing with them and didn't feel comfortable telling him they were low on fuel. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> but generally, I love ATC. And ATC here in Fairbanks is super nice. Um, air pressure, not not necessarily, well, it's a huge deal for some people. 
if you have a cold and you go on a flight, you will be in hell. Oh, you go scuba diving. You can't fly for yeah. what, like 24 hours mm-hmm. where you get the bends? You get the bends. Oxygen will form in your blood and kill you. If you've ever traveled with a little kid, the pressure is a nightmare because kids are too young to know how to clear their ears. So you have to be ready with a bottle of milk to get them to suck on it, to pop their own ears. And if they can't, there's, that's why babies are screaming a lot of the time when you take off and land because they, they can't regulate their ears and their ears hurt like hell. Mm-hmm. So Can that's I take another my pet issue. On a hyperloop? Uh, I would assume so. I would like I that. think it's a deal breaker if you can't do that. Yeah. But you might be able to have your pet with you. Whereas like my pet had to travel in storage and Lord knows what that was like it's for them. A, I always think it must be traumatic for a pet to be locked in wherever they put them inside a plane away from people yeah. and have this whole traumatic experience of pressurization, depressurization, flying, big engine noises. It must Weird be noises. really stressful. I've only flown with my cats one time and it was not a pleasant experience oh, no. for any of us. <laughs> I used to be really into flying, so I knew a fair amount about it. And one of the things I heard about, apparently they have a switch called the dead dog switch in the luggage compartment because if it doesn't work it like i don't know fails to heat the luggage and it kills the dogs oh, so they call it the dead dog switch that's sad i may not be true or not but that's what i remember oh my gosh because weight is such and space is such a big deal you're very limited on luggage some of us remember when you could have bags for free and then they started charging you and then, and then, then they're like and then it became town. free again but only in certain circumstances this is why that overhead bin issue Mm -hmm. is such an issue now i see yes that makes sense so if on a hyperloop space is not as expensive space and weight are not as expensive as they are when you're trying to launch a vehicle up to thirty thousand feet hey maybe you can bring a bunch of luggage and it's not a big deal um and then along with that the limited personal space which we kind of already talked about but if if you could like have some leg room and do you know maybe sleep on this thing relatively comfortably even if you need to i mean if it's only a 45 minute thing are we gonna have four hour i mean <laughs> hold on <laughs> let me do the math here so long enough to sleep where's my calculator um well, I could do the math. So like a four-hour flight mm-hmm. would be 2,800 miles, which is almost here to Michigan. Okay. I think that's about 3,000 miles. I thought a four-hour flight is from here to Seattle. On a plane. On a plane. But a, sorry, a four-hour hyperloop at 700 miles an hour. Okay. That's 2,800 miles. So we could get to Michigan. So, yeah. But there's going to be connections, you got to think. They're not, they're not going to have a hyperloop that specific and that's one thing that i would give to airlines is the ability to change routes um without a massive investment in infrastructure Mm -hmm. so like up here in alaska in the summer we get a bunch of airlines that come up here and in the winter they don't well hyperloop you build the loop you know and it's there if you use it or not yeah so i just want to say one thing about air travel that I hate more than anything and it's reclining seats mm-hmm. because as soon as you recline your seat you are screwing the, pe- yep. the person behind you exactly everybody that reclines their seat is just a big jerk I know I once had this 
little old lady. I was on some, I don't know. I like to bad mouth Delta. I don't know. Remember what airline Delta's it was, not cool. but Delta is not cool for leg room. Mm-mm. And my legs were just the fact that my femurs, as long as it was, was jammed into the seat in front oh, of me. Yeah. There it wasn't like I could bend or do anything. Like it was just there. And I remember watching this woman slamming her head, trying to get her seat to recline push you know slamming backward on the seat and she was just going right into my knees oh, there was nowhere to go so i bought the knee defender have you heard of this i have not they are little plastic locks that you can put on your tray that will lock the seat from coming back down <laughs> i love this and i heard that they might be illegal but Who you cares? don't re- i know but you don't really need to use them if you just jam like almost anything into that crack between the arm of your tray table and the seat in front of you that will also achieve basically the same thing. You also can't do any work if somebody reclines their seat. Yeah. Like there's zero room for I can't open my anything. laptop. No. And I can't, I like to sleep leaning forward. I can't lean forward because I just hit their chair. Um, even when it's not reclined. So yes, reclining seats are a nightmare and should be eliminated. I agree. The only time they're okay is when no one's behind you. But when, when do we ever going to get flights like that? I mean, it's so rare that nobody's behind me. Right. Pandemic times excluded. <sighs> anyway, so I think most of us hate air travel. Used to be those good old days when people get dressed up. They like you to talk about that. You could smoke and eat ice cream. You could smoke. What they don't talk about is how noisy, how slow, and how dangerous it was. <laughs> and expensive, too. All right. Now I want to talk about what the Hyperloop, what Hyperloops might do to society. Are you ready to move on from 100%. that? 100%. Okay. So I, I want to start off with what happens when travel becomes cheaper and faster. We have already seen this, right? Um, what, give me some examples of, of times in, in our history where travel became dramatically cheaper and faster. And Overseas what the impact travel. Was. When we could cross the ocean with air travel, mm-hmm. I think there was, I mean, we saw a dramatic increase in globalization. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a big one. Air travel, huge for globalization, for getting people places they never would have gone before in, in crazy short amount of times. It still kind of boggles my mind. You know, like my daughter right now is in Illinois for like a four-day volleyball camp. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. She flew 3,000 miles, you know, in it, in it probably took her about 12 to 14 hours, door to door ish. And, uh, and she made a trip that, you know, a hundred years ago would have taken days and yeah, days. Yeah, I mean, she'd have to like take pack mules <laughs> out of the train. Exactly. Walk on foot. Right. Take a boat. So air travel, <laughs> uh, huge, huge impact. Um, trains is one of the, the main ones that come to mind. Um, when, when train travel, I mean, train travel basically led to the spread of white America West. So you there's, know? there's that colonization, mm-hmm. manifest destiny and all yep. of that. The, the advent of the rail line going from east to west also made it possible to transfer goods and also services across the opposite side of the country. And I think... Which further enhances that that colonization because if you can, you know, um, 
send your thing in for Wells Fargo or Sears and Roebuck. I guess Wells Fargo was the delivery, and you'd order from the Sears Roebuck catalog and order yourself a house. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, my errors are crossing a little bit there, but, you know, um, order yourself a car and have it delivered by train. Yeah, that's something that you couldn't do with a covered wagon. I think with a Hyperloop, though, there will at some point be high-speed freight, which means that Absolutely. things things that are being delivered will be delivered much more quickly. Trains, as, as we talked a bit about in the meeting culture class that we taught together, allowed for the distribution of magazines way far beyond where they could go so information. before. So information travels better. Um we're kind of past that now with the internet. But. People will be able to live. They'll have much more flexibility in the area they can live. Like if you have a 30 minute commute now exactly, and you are living, what, 20 miles out of a city, you can live how many, many, how many, many, how many <laughs> more miles many, further many. out can you live? <laughs> exactly. So you want to look at white flight and the development of suburbs. That all came because cars allowed for cheap and quick transportation that hadn't been allowed before. So not necessarily a wonderful thing, but one of the impacts of what happens when travel becomes cheaper, significantly cheaper and significantly um, faster. Vacations. Before cars, people never went anywhere, so they didn't have to know what like other places were like, but then, but then they can, so that, then you end up with, uh, what was the Michelin Guide? was like one of the first things that comes out as a result of cars because people are going to another city. They want to know, like, what's a good place to stay? What's a good restaurant? AAA. They didn't have to know. You get AAA also telling you some of that stuff. And now we have Yelp. It's easy for us to travel, but I still don't go on vacation. So you've got, you've got, and we're just talking generally right now because I want to talk about, these are things we do know about what, what, what can happen. Vacations. Oh, I was just talking about that. Like, um, so now I, I can, and plenty of people can reasonably travel from Alaska to Mexico. You can, and, and when you do that, you're traveling from vastly different economies. So when I go, I remember last time I was in Mexico, well, almost two years ago, I guess I told my daughter, I was like, I love leaving money in Mexico because this is a poor nation compared to the United States. And, and so the people here are making a lot less money than, than what I make in the U.S. So I like helping them out. So you can have these experiences that you couldn't have before fast, cheap travel was possible of going to a very different world just for fun. And hang, you can go to Thailand where it's like, you know, $3 will, will buy you an incredible meal. And so you get these interesting mixing and, and globalization that comes from that. And what happens when two cultures collide for a very brief moment like that for like a week and then separate again. So anyway, yeah. And then, okay. So talking about Hyperloop specifically, one of the things that comes to mind for me about the future impact is what has to do with what you said about commuting. The average person, I guess, I saw this recently, commutes like half an hour a day. Now with COVID, you know, who knows how that's going to impact We it. all had a taste. Well, let me take that back. A segment of the population had a taste mm -hmm. of what it is like to not have to commute. Right. So we might see some reduction in commuting now that people are more aware of the ability to get work done via telepresence and working from home. But 
so if it's a if a half hour commute is considered reasonable and this could be a quite pleasant half hour commute too if if you're going from LA to San Francisco and it's there's no having to trade off you know um make connections or anything like that and you're not the one who has to be driving like you're not paying right. attention to traffic exactly you're not distracted, anything like that so ba- basically what defines a city could start to erode because if you commute every day from la to san francisco then where does san francisco end and la start what what makes a city a city anymore if I mean, the people who live in it are coming from hundreds of miles away? Functionally, I feel like the municipal government will still have to be delineated just for care and maintenance of that space, regardless of how permeable mm-hmm. the city boundaries are. Yeah, but I think that, that sense of identity will really start to erode. Right. I agree. Because I... I agree. There's the individual perception of space becomes, you know, I don't, I don't even, I haven't thought about this. What makes a community anymore? Yeah. But somebody still needs to be able to manage tax money and make sure roads get plowed and roads get repaired and hyperloop tubes Mm -hmm. get plugged. I don't know. Yeah, I get that, but. Uh, look look at uh, housing prices in, in California. They're so high because there's so many people who want to live in the one spot. That's true. Because of the limitations of how far they want to drive. What if suddenly that jumped a couple hundred miles? It's going to kill house prices near popular zones. If yeah, a Hyperloop it, gets installed. It might help house prices in other zones. And then it will drive up house prices in other areas. Yeah. If you're near the end of a Hyperloop, your the value of your house is going to explode. I mean, we see this happening. I've seen this happen, not personally, but I've heard about it on the East Coast. When the commuter rail goes up to one more town, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all the houses in that area explode in value because now they're within reach of D.C. or New York or whatever when yeah. they weren't before, and housing prices will go nuts. <clears throat> so, you know, this is a significant impact that you could you could have and it'd be interesting to see especially when it's when it's going from two hubs like that though you're not going to have a hyperloop going in the middle of nowhere no so, so there will definitely be areas not served by right um all of the benefits so actually housing prices could get even more nuts because in some ways i don't know because now you have there's even more significance to living close to a hyperloop but i mean close to the center of a city where a hyperloop might be right but it, this is still within the context of people who live and work in cities we have people now who are living in rural and much smaller communities who are still working and living with no need to make it to a metropolitan area to do the thing that they need to do mm-hmm. so i wonder this may only, imp- it's really only going to impact immediately large me- metropolitan hubs like airline travel does. Yeah, but they're, they've got to have, they're not going to just have entrances to this Hyperloop at the two ends. It's not going to be like a dog bone. No. They're going to have ones in between. So all the places in between 
are going to see a dramatic rise in house value. I agree with what you're saying, but it, I don't think that this development's going to happen the way that the, like, the U.S. interstate system did. I think it's going to take much more time for those intermediate locations to have en- to become endpoints. I think it's going to be large metropolitan areas that yeah. are the endpoints first. I agree, but you'll see populations spreading further and further out. Sure. Um, I wanted to bring up an idea then. When is local presence important? So let's say in this amazing world, we have a hyperloop between Fairbanks and Anchorage. Well, let's, let's make it something. Let's, let's, let's get out of hyperloop and let's just say, what if we had a professor in LA teaching at UAF? Well, I mean, we have situations like that right now. Yeah. Is that, is that okay? Because this is a very, place is very significant to us. Place is significant to us. Can you really teach well at a university in Fairbanks? Ooh, look at that look that you put Kristen me is deliberately me. in this situation as Can an you employee really of eCampus. Teach well <laughs> at a place. It's some place where place is so important, such as the center of Alaska. When you live somewhere so differently that you cannot relate to what life here is like and the specific issues that we face. I mean, that's a really good question. Because there, there's a number of issues, really, you're directing that question toward. One is the experience mm. and um, understanding a local population uh, and culture. But then you're also talking about the experience of being in a face-to-face classroom versus a, um, online learning, let's say, or mm-hmm. remote learning. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that plays into that. I think that depending on what it what the subject is that you're teaching, you'll be more or less successful. And I think it depends on the individual too. Yeah. Cause you know, some, some people are good at teaching online, just like some people are good at being actors or doctors and some people do better face to face. Yeah. I mean, I teach documentary filmmaking and I would not want a professor well, there are pros and cons. If you're a professor in LA teaching documentary filmmaking up here, you have a lot of connections. Right. That's awesome. But if you've never been to Alaska, you don't know anything about making films up here, which is very different than making films in Lower 48. However, when I was in grad school at Michigan State in East Lansing, I had an online professor who lived in California. And that was not really a big deal because this might sound shocking, but there's not a wild difference between East Lansing and California other than, you know, it's a little bit nicer in January (laughs) in (laughs) California, but it's not like we have massive cultural differences like, like we have up here in, in Alaska. So, but you teach a media and culture class online Mm -hmm. and you could be teaching this class from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to think about all my individual classes and how much, the the local like being here is relevant to them i think it's important for making connections with individuals Mm -hmm. being able to relate but it's also an opportunity to share experiences Mm -hmm. you know what's happening in my life if i'm living in lansing is totally different than what's happening in fairbanks but it's an opportunity to learn about those differences too sure and and again there are some assets that come with that while i I'm very in tune to what filmmaking up here is like. I'm not very in tune with what filmmaking in LA is like. 
like not in tune at all. So that's the challenge. So I see that being one thing that, that hyperloops could really change is basically that the commuter lifestyle and cities, just ex- suburbs suddenly becoming hundreds of miles <laughs> long instead of just like a certain ring around a city. Um, we, we alluded to the pros and cons, or we talked about the pros and cons with uh, air travel and hyperloops. I think air travel is screwed in the future. It looks like you agree with that. Yeah, I think so. I think hyperloops are one of the factors. What what when you when you agree? Why do you agree? I agree because there has to be a better way. Air travel takes a lot of time. It's very expensive. Um, did I mention it's time consuming? Yes, I know. I keep, keep <laughs> wanting to say it. It's incredibly uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, and. Even which, though which, go ahead. You get to you, you can get to faraway places, but I welcome an alternative experience. Which yeah, leads me to a question. How much is comfort worth to you in time? In other words, in twelve to fourteen hours I can get to Michigan, but it is a really unpleasant it's a brutal time. And there's a certain amount of time I spend, you know, part of it's jet lag, but part of it's just getting over getting knocked around and my butt hurts and all this stuff and the stress and misery of air travel. How, how much more time would you spend on a trip to be able to be more comfortable? How much would I spend at my destination? Is that the question? Uh, So let, I, I could, I could take a train in theory, let's say I could take a train to Michigan and not have to drive and be able to get up and walk around and, and go different places mm-hmm. and be more comfortable and sleep comfortably. But it would take, you know, five days oh, instead of 14 hours. How, what, I think one thing that, that I, I think is an interesting trade-off to consider is time versus comfort. Mm-hmm. What if I went through <laughs> unbelievable 10 out of 10 excruciating pain for 15 seconds and then got to Michigan. <laughs> Man, wouldn't that be nice? 15 wouldn't seconds. That be... It'd be like being torn apart at a molecular level and then yeah. being reassembled. <laughs> like I was tased once for like four seconds. That uh. was really, really, really unpleasant. <laughs> but <laughs> if it got me to Anchorage, I would probably go through it again. Really? I don't know. I'd have to think about it. It was a really, really un- unpleasant If experience. in those four seconds you could just magically appear at Anchorage on the yeah. other end. After yeah. getting tased. That'd be interesting. I'm sure I'd build up resistance to it. But it was the longest four seconds of my life. <laughs> you might I develop think it, a tick. It, yeah. <laughs> it might have been like 3.86 seconds. I mean, it was just like every fraction of a second you're being tased. You you wish it was shorter. So, yeah. I think this is, you know, every once in a while I come across a question that I think is good dinner table conversation as if families have dinner around the table anymore. Or car conversation, but ask your kids, ask your friend, ask your spouse, what, what trade-off would you have in comfort versus time? You know, I am trying to imagine my answer in the context of traveling back to see my family who live on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. That trip is often 11 hours long. Right. On average. Yep. It's just insane. And, it's and I want it to be over as fast as possible. Right. Because I just don't have a lot of leave time. Mm-hmm. So just 
in travel time alone, I lose almost 24 hours. Yeah. So if I could make those 24 hours experiential in a positive way, maybe, Mm -hmm. but it does, it, it shortens the outcome. Like my intended outcome for the trip is to spend time with the people I'm going to see. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It definitely depends on your particular life situation. I have more time, um, flexibility. So I would gladly, if, if a trip to Michigan took like two days, but it was incredibly comfortable. Like it was basically like my living room was traveling to Michigan. Mm-hmm. I would totally go for it. I would. I Wouldn't know. you miss your cat though? My cat would be with me because it's so incredibly comfortable. Oh, if we could take pets, a hundred percent, we take all the time <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not saying hyperloops are going to allow all this, but one of the things that they could involve is more space, more legroom, more comfort. It might end up costing you. It might take more time in some ways. Um, but that's, yeah, right now it, it it's, yeah, it's just sort of a, a theoretical question because mm-hmm. there are, they are supposed to be faster than, um, airplanes. So, um, so I think, I think when it comes, to, I think air travel is going to get its butt kicked in the 21st century. I think. Long haul stuff will be okay. I don't think you're going to see a hyperloop from, you know, New York to London or anything like that. Mm. But the short haul stuff, like sometime it used to be when I'd fly back to Michigan, Alaska Airlines didn't fly to Detroit, so I'd have to fly to Chicago. And then sometimes you'd get a car and that was miserable, and rent one and drive four hours, or you'd get a a, a you know a short haul flight from Chicago to Detroit or something like that. And it was disproportionately expensive. I mean, it'd be like the flight to Chicago, you know, costs like $400. And then the flight from Chicago to Detroit, like a quick little hop, costs like another $250. So like this is proportionally is ridiculously expensive. It's more waiting. Um, And often it's different airlines. So you have the fear of like these airlines don't talk to each other so if something goes wrong with one airline you're like screwed with the other airline so i think that short haul stuff between the major destinations are toast because Mm -hmm. who would ever get on one of these tiny little embraer propeller planes to go from detroit to chicago if you could hop on a hyperloop yeah um and i think not just hyperloop but i think self-driving cars is going to kill the short haul airlines too so how short, I mean, I think it will depend on, I think again, stuff that goes over water, um, it's going to be fine indefinitely. I feel bad for poor people that have to not commute, but travel like anywhere to New Zealand or Australia. Yeah. That's just, that's that will always home. be brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <It's terrible. laughs> I, don't, I don't see that. I don't know until we invent tele teleporting or something, but, um, so I, I think that's going to take, I think, a, a giant shot out of it. I think autonomous cars, like, what if you combined autonomous cars as, what if they just became part of your whole travel experience? So you book a flight with Alaska Airlines to your hometown, and it includes an autonomous car that takes you from the airport 
directly that to would your be great. house. That's you know? kind of how Germany has their rail line set up. Like you can fly into Germany. I've done this from the States. You fly into Germany and you have 24 hours on, on a ticket to mm-hmm. ride the train anywhere to get to your destination. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yep. So I think, you know, again, that's another, like, if, for example, if I had the option of fly to Chicago and then take uh, a commuter or, you know, one of the little puddle jumper flights to Detroit or where my mom picks me up and then drives me the hour back to the house or land in Chicago and take an autonomous car that I can like sleep in and don't, obviously I'm not driving and I'm, I'm comfortable and I can do other things. Like that's like a four hour drive. So in the end, even though you're having to take the old, old fashioned car, even though it's autonomous car, like you're saving at least an hour in layover. You're saving, you know, you've got the 45 minutes of flight. Um, you know, it comes out to not, and then you've got the drive to the airport to your house. It comes out to not be that big of a difference Hmm. if you're having a car drive you exactly where you want to go yeah i think that'd be nice too i remember i've gone a few places and i get to uh my plane lands at a destination and i still need to get like the last x number of miles Mm -hmm. and i've landed in larger cities where the taxi services and taxi i'm using that term loosely because they could have been any uber whatever Mm-hmm. kind of service but they're a little predatory they just stand there yeah. at the baggage claim and they're like i will take you mm-hmm. and I'm like i don't know who you are right <laughs> yeah it gets very sketchy and i'm dazed from flying for right. eight hours mm-hmm. yeah yeah you definitely want to go to the official taxi pickup line mm-hmm. one one thing that came to mind for this and i get i get like drawn back to autonomous cars but imagine if you took a hyperloop or even an airplane and then they auto-loaded your luggage into your self-driving car. I would love that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. Why can't that happen? It can totally happen. <laughs> um, all right. So some of these, I get a little bit off track because these things get get a little bit. I have a, qu- uh, a question that's going to take us out of this conversation. Right, well, I, I have a couple more things. I know. Are we going to have time to do hoverboards? We're going to be super fast about okay. it. Um, shipping, you kind of talked about this already. This I'm could, excited about could, that. Could be a massive impact on shipping, making it way faster and way cheaper to get stuff. So the impacts of that could be incredible. And like you could get, in theory, again, take out from Anchorage. If it takes half an hour to get I here. I could get a Chicago deep dish pizza. Yeah. <laughs> you can get it now too, but it's really expensive. I know. And those really crappy cake donuts from Krispy Kreme. Yeah. How about a good donut from Krispy Kreme? Yeah, look how that expands economies, too. So people in L.A. aren't just shopping at places in L.A. They're also shopping, you know, in San Francisco or places in between. You know, it's kind of crazy how that could all work out. And then there's the economic inequality between countries that could come from any sort of massive leap forward. So now... We can ship things faster here, cheaper. Maybe we that helps American products compete with international products more um, because the shipping 
domestically becomes significantly cheaper than throwing stuff on a um, boat or flying it from China. But we are not the only country developing this technology. Right. So, um, and one thing that come to mind with this too, and Hyperloops again may not fully be the answer to this, but if you look at the world hunger problem, it's not a problem of not having enough food in the world. It's of food transportation. I could go to Costco right now and buy enough food for a village. The food exists. Mm -hmm. It's just after I bought it, it's unbelievably expensive to get it to them. That's the problem. And some of it goes bad. So what if Hyperloops play a part in allowing us to move things more quickly? Could that impact how food is distributed? And could that impact world, world hunger? If we could throw, if I could throw something on a Hyperloop right now and it gets shot over to Africa. Interesting. You know? Anyway, one of the other impacts of what happens when transportation becomes much faster and cheaper. What did you want to say before we transition to hoverboards, which I swear we're going to go super fast on? <laughs> I mean, I think uh, we covered the broad strokes. We didn't really spend a whole lot of time talking about early instantiation of this sort of uh, VAC train technology that happened at the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, because I don't know anything about that. I don't, but it happened. It was kind of like a an unrealized pneumatic tube slash train technology. Mm -hmm. People tried to make it happen, but they ran into a lot of roadblocks trying mm -hmm. to make this happen in um, subterranean tubes. Um, and I hope that the Hyperloop doesn't succumb to the same fate. Yeah. Me too. I just wonder, will something else come along before we can finish it that's even more effective? Like aliens? Yeah. Hmm. Alien technology maybe will introduce something to us. Which is actually a good transition to hoverboards because I talk about alien technology with them. Yeah. I think one thing before we change is that this Hyperloop technology and trying to get it off the ground to me is like this kind of big thinking development that we don't see a whole lot of um, in my mind. Like we used to, the, again, the turn of the 20th century, you had people coming up with like wacky large airplanes and just a lot of really big, unbelievable scale projects um, mm -hmm. that people are just kind of trying out. And I think that the Hyperloop is one of those things. Like we don't really know how it's going to turn out. Um, but there are some big thinkers with a lot of money that are backing it just to see, or Elon Musk is from the future. <laughs> if he's from the future, he's doing some pretty dumb things <laughs> like betting on Bitcoin, but maybe he knows it was going to go down before it went back up. <laughs> um, yeah, it's such a massive, massive investment that it does make me wonder because when investment reaches that size with a delayed return on investment, you start looking at like who, who in the business world is like, sure, I will put a million dollars into this knowing that it won't pay off until my great, great grandkids come around. Yeah. Like that's some generous thinking. And that's one of the problems I feel like with our economic system is if it doesn't pay off in a certain amount of time, even though it, it may eventually pay off, but who's really, Who's looking that far ahead? Like, oh, we're going to invest now. So in a hundred years, our business is bonkers. There are a lot of people that are still going to make money on 
the exploration into the technology. Like I was thinking, uh-huh. who's, who are the people working on making the Hyperloop happen? And I was like, of course there's engineers and people that are working on developing experience and they're going to be programmers and people that are good at AI, but there's also like really, there are people that know their stuff about welding uh-huh. and material fabrication. So I think that that is something I think that people, I haven't heard talk a lot about and that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a massive improvement in infrastructure for America when we need massive improvements in infrastructure, but we're just not good as a race at looking that far ahead. (laughs) Unfortunately, anything else you want to talk about with hyperloops? No. No. Okay. Hoverboards. So what are we talking about? I get, well, there's, there's a variety of different types of things. The thing that first comes to mind, I think is, the Back to the Future hoverboard. That's the only thing that comes to okay, mind for great. me. Okay, great. That's the only thing that comes to mind. Basically a skateboard that through some sort of weird, maybe magnetic technology. Sorcery. Sorcery. There's a couple <laughs> of round, magnety looking things in the bottom that make it float. Super cool. Uh, you also have the dopey two-wheeled things that kids like to ride that have been around for a while and parents like to fall off of. <laughs> parents, including I've you? never ridden one of those. Okay. I think they're too dorky. You have <laughs> drones that you can stand on that are also kind of called hoverboards. Those are pretty cool looking. That to me actually makes more sense as a hoverboard. Yeah. It hovers, but it's, it's kind of insane. Scary. You do have these straight up magnetic hoverboards that Lexus came out with, which I saw and was like, oh my gosh, how is this possible? This is amazing. And then you figure out what they are and you're like oh this is lame you can only go in one spot you can in only circle. go on one spot because it's like a magnet over a the rail that's buried and you can't steer and they're just yeah it's super lame um <laughs> really impractical looks cool then you've got segways uh electric shoes which are basically shoes with wheels on them that you can roll around on i have they look really dangerous i'm not interested and i'm usually interested in everything so it's like a powered version of the wheelies i think so yeah Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah i didn't even spend i took one look i was like yeah no thanks wow you got electric unicycles which i was really excited about for a while and it's basically like a wheel with like a handle on the top and a couple of um paddle things that foot pedal or whatever whatever what do you call these things pedals yeah, but you don't pedal pegs. them. Pegs. Kind of like pegs. Flat flat panels that fold down that you can stand on. And then you can roll around. So are you standing on it or are you seating? Because my butt hurts thinking about this. You're standing. Okay. They do have city, sitting ones too Ouch. that are of the same unicycle type design. <laughs> and then um, you have the one wheel, which is a f- probably after the dopey little ones that kids ride. This is the most common type of hoverboard that i've seen around it's basically like a go-kart wheel on a skateboard in the middle of the skateboard a single go-kart wheel (laughs) and it like the one wheel and and some of the other any any of the wheeled ones works because there's a wheel spinning within a wheel that makes itself balancing and so that makes it a lot easier to ride and this is the yeah and so that's how those work um have you i I think based on what you've said you have not had a lot of experience with hoverboards zero experience i my first experience was with a one wheel on the drive up from michigan uh that was pretty 
pretty pretty crazy in the DeLorean. I stopped in um, what was it? I don't know if it was Edmonton. I guess it was Edmonton. And I met up with a bunch of scientists from the University of Edmonton to just talk about time travel for the documentary. And one of them had one of these one wheels and kept riding around filming <laughs> while we're driving around the DeLorean in this That's park. Awesome. And so he let me try it. And I was amazed how quickly I could get going on it. It was minutes and I was moving. I wasn't comfortable, but I was, you know, able to steer and actually go. That's cool. Fairly easy to learn. And because it's got a big kind of squishy middle wheel, I was going over grass to start with. Very easy. Uh, much more comfortable for falling down. I like that terrain is something that it can handle. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that thing is, those things are pretty expensive. I want to say they're probably like 1500 bucks. Oh, wow. So they are expensive. But they're the most practical of the hoverboards I've seen today in terms of going over different territory, uh, terrain and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I got one that I got mainly just for looks rather than <laughs> practicality. <laughs> it's the same design. It's a skateboard with a wheel in the middle, but the wheel is smaller. The skateboard is longer and it's got like lights on it and plays Bluetooth music for you um did you get this so you can ride it in parades i got it so i could ride in a parade which i did while someone else was driving my delorean what so i have this wonderful picture on my desktop maybe i'll, I'll show it to you of me here it is and yes i will eventually make it available yeah me you need riding to share my hoverboard me. um <laughs> in my marty mcfly back to the future 2 costume <laughs> Well, another guy dressed as Doc Brown drives my DeLorean, and that was one of the best moments You're of my wearing life. the Velcro shoes, too, aren't you? In that. I'm wearing not... I got the, the actual rip-off Nikes later, but I'm wearing those those white, ugly gotcha. ones. Anyway, um, so my experience with that was it's super cool looking. It does terrible on anything other than really beautifully flat terrain. Yeah. Even a parking lot with the little seams between you know, cracks and stuff is really unpleasant. It's not real good about telling you when the battery is going to die. And when the battery dies, it locks up and you are eating concrete. That's not cool. Super fast. I have helping. eaten concrete multiple times mm -hmm. on that. I did with no instruction anywhere because I got it used. So it didn't even have, it had in manual. It didn't talk about how to learn how to do it. I taught myself how to do it, but it took me like hours a lot of falling and a lot of misery, but it was sheer willpower <laughs> because I wanted to wear it for my Dark Winter Nights live show or drive it for my Dark Winter Nights live show. So I was like, I've got to learn how to do this thing. I'm I'm riding this in Dark Winter Nights and I did. And I managed to go two laps around the stage and then I jumped off. I was afraid <laughs> it might lose control and go flying off into the audience and hurt someone, but it didn't. And if, you, if you're at that show or you see the video of it, you see me hop off and just like leap for joy. And it's because <laughs> I made it two times around without falling off. That's awesome. So, um, I, th yeah. So with my experience uh, with hoverboards, what do I think the future of hoverboards are? Um, well, um, actual hoverboards like in Back to the Future are not going to happen this is the thing we need like alien tech for but we don't have any sort of anti-gravity stuff no one's gonna want to ride around on this thing on a specific track no it's dumb it <laughs> so an actual hoverboard 
like in Back to the Future is not going to happen. Thank you for saying that. Apparently, some people thought that that was a real thing. <laughs> and um, I'm sorry to laugh if you were one of the people who thought they actually had hoverboards in Back to the Future. They did not. They were hanging from a crane. Wheeled hoverboards. I could see these possibly, you know, still... You know, these might become more popular in urban areas where you are doing a lot of walking. Oh, yeah. The one wheel would be more practical for that. The one I have is not practical for any anything anywhere ever. Um, but I could see in an urban area, you know, if it's not too congested, that that could be a somewhat practical thing. They're certainly going to be fun for toys because sort of like a surfboard. Surfboard doesn't get you anywhere, but they're still popular because they're fun to ride. I could see that for for these as well that they're just kind of a fun thing to do it feels when you're riding one you feel like you're surfing a wave like a constant wave hmm. it's very it's a very cool feeling but you have to go through a lot of pain before you get there at least with mine um, they're also fun just for the novelty of if you want to be weird that's why i got mine and so i'll ride around on campus once in a while to be the weird guy but once you get to a building, the thing weighs like 30 pounds. Oh, my gosh. It has a handle, but it is really not fun to carry around. Um, and then sort of as a hobby, I guess I would – I could see them happening. A hobby or a sport like like surfing. Sure. You do it because it's fun and it's challenging and it's an interesting way to get around. Now, the drone hoverboards, I could see those being like a – alternative to hiking for people who like being outside but hate walking hop on a drone hoverboard and go fly up a hill that to me seems like an extreme sport experience like okay anybody who's an adrenaline junkie will hop on one of those and just go wherever they want to go yeah and you know assuming that they stay within a few feet of the ground otherwise they become a different thing they become you know, like a plane or a, a legitimate drone. But if it's something that, you know, um, propeller and other plane, not wing, plane-based planes, winged-based planes, <laughs> I don't know. They do, they do better closer to the ground due to ground effect. The air compresses on itself. And so planes are much happier flying like a couple feet off the ground. They'll do that slower. Then once they get up higher in the air, they have to be going faster. Flying. In planes that are close to the ground. That is the worst experience. Uh, well, the thing, yeah, the funny thing is they don't really want to land. <sighs> my first flight ever, I uh, came in too fast. My first solo came in too fast. And the plane, once it got close to the ground, just wanted to take off again. Huh. <laughs> so I did what's called porpoising. I think I did three. Oh, wow. You come in and you, you start to pull up and the plane's like, oh, I got plenty of speed. If I'm pull up, I'm going to go back up. <laughs> So I did that a few times before I got it slow enough that it would actually land. I've flown Map of the Earth before, not as a pilot, but just as a passenger a few times. And it's just, it's like riding waves on an ocean, mm-hmm. except I want to hurl. <laughs> it's a little freaky. It's certainly kind of dangerous. But yeah, the airplane is, is uh, happier to be flying when it's close to the ground. Okay. Rescue, I mean... I uh, could see that to a degree. Need to rescue someone over some rough terrain. Seems better as like a drone operation, though. Right. It kind of depends on what you need. If you need a physical person there. And what I've seen demonstrated are the jet suits anyway. They're talking about those for rescuing people. Yeah. But I could see up here, like, 
imagine um you know one of the issues we have is people get stuck in the mud flaps flaps <laughs> the mud flats yeah in anchorage they go out in low tide and it's like super cool and then the tide comes back in and their feet get stuck and they and this is uh, drown this is the boar tide that comes in so oh, the fast one it's fast but it's and but it's shallow however mm-hmm. it is enough to drown you right yeah. You only have to get like an inch above your mouth and nose and your toast. Yeah. So, you know, what if people could fly out on a on a hoverboard and get out there with some tools and rescue you? And Yeah, or if the people but just paid they attention can't take to you back. And... I guess they could give you a boat, inflatable boat. A anyway, <laughs> maybe rescue, I don't know, a forestry work. Day. Like, could you use one of these in, in, in forest, fighting forest fires hmm. to get to a fire over rough terrain? fairly quickly yeah i don't know that this would be i don't know how you couldn't that carry much with you that's the thing and you couldn't take that that thing with you to fight like if you, once you're at the location you need to be battling a fire not flying around yeah but if you look at what we do now where we send people out on parachutes right. smoke jumpers what if it, what if we drop the gear via parachute but then had people hoverboard to the location what happens to the hoverboards? Like they need to be able to go home or yeah, hover well, just like the rest away. of the gear. I don't know. I haven't thought a whole lot about this, so I'm just suggesting. Pretty effective. I'm tr- desperately trying to come up with some way hoverboards might exist in the future, and there seems to be so. F- <laughs> Recreation, I think, is reason enough. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The problems with them, in my experience, <clears throat> as we talked about a bit when we talked about drones, are loud. Yeah. So if if. You're like at a popular hiking destination and you show up with your hover drone and you're like, you sound like 10 lawnmowers all at once. You're that person. You're going to be, they're going to ban that faster than you can say dork dies in drone accident. Also, I mean, any rotary blade spinning fast enough that's large enough to give a person some elevation is also Mm going to be dangerous. Yeah. It's blowing a lot of air. Yeah. And so if you're flying over anything that can get blown away, sand. Or um, sucked into. Yeah, potentially sucked into too. I mean, uh, you're going to have a major mess. I made multiple mistakes, as I talked about with drones. Flew in over a fire pit one time. That was really bad. Blowing hot coals and ash over everything. Burned somebody. Burned a hole in somebody's patio furniture that way. Oh, no. So I, I think... When it comes to drones, the future is not going to be. I don't, I don't see drones. I'm sorry. Uh, hoverboards having a wildly dramatic impact on future society. I think any impact they've had, they've prob- they're going to have. They probably already have. Yeah. It's fun. It's a cool Christmas present. And you, uh, probably the biggest impact is the money you make on YouTube posting your, your dad trying to ride a hoverboard and spinning around on it till he falls on his butt <laughs> i've watched a few of those oh my gosh anything you want to add on the hoverboard front uh-uh. okay i agree with you <laughs> i want to get back on mine though i have some fond memories when i was learning and i was getting good enough you know you could ride without falling off and <laughs> it's a pretty cool feeling right on. but uh i don't have a lot of time in my days these, these days for that all right what are some things that have blown your minds recently so Kristen. it's been so long since we did an episode there have been a lot of things but i did pick one okay just because i thought it was really interesting of course um there were some researchers who have developed a bci interface that allowed 
uh, an individual with uh, a 69 year old individual with a spinal cord injury to type. Whoa. At he essentially made a new record, speed record for typing. And so before it had been about 40 characters, I believe, or eight words a minute. And this individual was able to type 90 characters or 18 words per minute. Um, oh, through through brain-controlled interface? Right. So cool. he was not typing with his I was going to say, that doesn't sound like a world record, but it's a world record for that particular interface. Yeah. Cool. And I think that is really a wonderful development for, for individuals who, you know, I always think of anybody who has ALS where you kind of trapped mm-hmm. by your body. Yeah. You are now able to more effectively, or you would you will be able to effectively communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Without depending on your hands. And the, it, the overflow into regular society could be amazing. If I can type without using my hands, then I can eat. You can well, eat? I, this is what you would do with it? I'm sorry. That seems trite compared to the impact <laughs> we'll have on other people. But I'm a trite person. I will be the first to say it. But Cool. <laughs> How about you? What blew your mind? Well, yeah, I'm starting to run out of things that blew my mind. But I, I so we're, I'm starting to now... Um, descend into things I just thought were super interesting. That's good. And and uh, one of the ones that I found interesting since our last episode was the momentum effect. Okay. Which is nothing to do with physics, but it's the idea that if you if you're at a store, I'm very interested in in social psychology and and in the ways that businesses and such try try to trick us and influence us. Thus, mm-hmm. the, you know, I love teaching the media and culture class. The momentum effect is when you get something cheap, you are more likely to buy something that's more expensive at the same time. Okay. So, you know, let's say you go to go out for fast food and you got a coupon for half off of a hamburger. You might be like, well, cool. Then I'm also going to get a shake. And that's how they make money. Or you go to the store and yeah, they got a, they got a discount on on something that you're really excited about. You get a TV for half off. You're like super excited. Awesome. I'm also going to pay full retail for this Blu-ray player. Okay. Something down those lines. Okay. And I'm sure that I have been affected by this. And it's, you're acting skeptical. No, I'm I, sure I have too. Yeah. Yeah. So just know that you are experiencing the momentum effects when you feel inclined after having gotten a deal on one thing to go and buy something else yeah i feel like i've experienced this buying clothes that are on sale right it's like buy this pair of pants on sale i'm like well i can get some shirts because i didn't i saved money on this Mm -hmm. like look this should have cost me a hundred dollars well the fact is you wouldn't have paid a hundred bucks for that shirt (laughs) so the 80 bucks that you saved is a fake 80 bucks and that's how they get you to spend the other money so anyway, that's the momentum effect. So now on to next week. Do we remember whose choice it is? No. However, <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a product review. Oh, is that what we're going to do instead next week? Well, that's what we were going to accidentally do instead of this episode we already committed to. Oh, okay. So we're going to post a product review for next week. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. So then when will we announce what the next topic is for this know. part? <laughs> the thing that we'll we're going to review? No. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about what we're going to review. Yeah. Are you ready to review something? Because I feel like you had something in mind instead of doing this episode. I have something in mind, but you should pick. I'm confused. Um, 
I have something for our next podcast episode I'd like to talk about. Oh, what? Underwater drones. Oh, we haven't talked about those, have we? No. And that is on the list. Yeah. Let's talk about those. Okay. But then the product review that we want to do next is the HoloLens 2, right? Yes, we can talk about that. Yeah. You've been playing with it for a while. Mm-hmm. And I will trade it. I will give it to you just so you can talk about it, too. And it's not a stupid conversation that's one-sided. Yeah. Give, it to, give it to me, like, next week. Well, next obviously, week. when you when you see me next. Oh, yeah. but and we I might will... go for beer for this week. This yeah, week. I'll give it to you then because I'm going to be out for most of, not oh, yeah. this week, but next week. Let's go get a beer with HoloLens. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not familiar with HoloLens, it's like... Google Glass, but even dorkier, it's but very dorky. way more functional. <laughs> it's a, it's basically AR glasses, augmented reality glasses that are super cool, but super dorky looking. And but... there's no reason to wear them in a bar. <laughs> Which is exactly why we'll bring them. Oh, gosh. All right. Kristen, <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time to do another episode of InStuff. It's been fun. Okay. <laughs> couldn't tell if you were ending your sentence. I couldn't tell either. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the In Stuff podcast. If you'd like to join the discussion or see links to the things we referenced in today's episode, feel free to pop on over to instuffpodcast.com. That's the letter N, stuffpodcast.com. If you're enjoying the InStuff podcast, check out my other podcast, Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. In each episode, we share amazing true stories from Alaska told by the Alaskans who experienced them. The New York Times recently called Dark Winter Nights the best winter podcast for storytelling lovers. Check out Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, wherever you get your podcasts or at darkwinternights.com. The InStuff podcast is sponsored by Scratch Band. Just stop touching your face. Don't make me explain why anymore. It's gross. I don't care if you buy a scratch band or come up with some other way to do it, but just quit. I mean, it's the easiest way I've found to quit touching my face, but, you know, whatever works for you. Scratch band. Join the evolution. More information at scratchband.life, also available on amazon.com.